Whenever someone moves to the United States from a foreign country, there are a lot of things that they are asked to learn. They learn about how things work in this country, about what it means to be an American. They learn about our history, our culture, what a citizen is like. Well, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught about what it means to be a citizen of a different kind of nation or kingdom. He taught about the radical and unconventional nature of his kingdom and what its citizens should be like. And this sermon is where so many famous and foundational teachings come from. This is where the Beatitudes come from and the idea that we're supposed to be salt and light and teachings on prayer and forgiveness and anxiety and marriage and so many other things. But that's not what we're going to focus on tonight. Tonight, I want to focus on his conclusion that begins in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. We'll begin there if you'll head over there. Using a series of symbols here, he says to his listeners, do my will. He asks them to choose. Do my will or do not do my will. There is no in-between. And in this section, we see a series of contrasts. Tonight, we're going to dig deeper into each of these. First, beginning at verse 13, we see the contrast, the choice between the narrow and the broad ways. Begin reading with me in Matthew 7 at verse 13. There Jesus began concluding his sermon by saying, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus gives us two gates, two paths, one wide and one narrow. The narrow way implies difficulty. It's not even easy to find, much less to travel. The wide path is an easier way to go. And because it's easier, the majority will choose it. Few will put in the work to seek out and travel on this narrow path. You're in the minority if you're doing that. And these two paths lead to two different destination, life or destruction, heaven or hell. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, even though there are only two options, choosing the right path isn't always easy. The Lord calls it narrow for a reason. Its requirements are much stricter than the other path. Paul called walking this way the good fight. I think we get so familiar with that language sometimes, we forget that he's saying it is a fight. This is a struggle. He says he has to press on to the goal. This is no walk in the park. As part of walking this narrow path, we'll have to cut some things out of our life to enter and go this way. You can't try and walk through the narrow gate with all your old baggage of sin. If you've been carrying around a bag of lying, you have to set it down. If you carry a bag of lust, you have to leave it behind. There are no carry-ons, and no, you may not check your bag. You either leave your sin or you do not enter. In Luke's retelling of this, in Luke 13, 24, Jesus said, Many will seek to enter, but will not be able. These people want to go this way, but they're unwilling to set aside the baggage of their sin. They don't want to do the work that is required to enter through the narrow gate. And the wide way is much more comfortable and accommodating. A majority of people go that way. You don't have to leave anything behind. 
You can bring as many of those bags as you want, as big as you want them. Many will go this way. It requires no self-denial, no sacrifice. The choice may be difficult, but once we see the whole picture, the choice becomes much clearer. Walking this narrow way might in the moment seem worse than the broad way. The broad way may be easier in the moment, may be better in the moment, but this is not the case. A life with rules and structure dictated by the one that created us and the world we live in will be a much better life. We may be persecuted for choosing it, but this will be a better life. If we're not liars, we will never back ourselves into an impossible corner by our web of lies. If we're not sexually immoral, we won't have to fight diseases unnecessarily, and we won't have to change our lives because of unplanned children. If we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we will have much happier and richer relationships. But there's more to this. When we see what's at the end of the paths, it makes the choice even clearer. The broad way is a highway to destruction, to eternal punishment. And the narrow way is a trail that leads to eternal life in heaven. An eternity of joy and comfort in heaven will far outweigh any difficulty we face walking the narrow way. And an eternity of punishment will far outweigh the benefit of ease on the broad path. We have to choose narrow or broad. And in the next section, back in Matthew 7, beginning at verse 15, we see another contrast using a number of different symbols. Contrast between true and false teachers. Read with me back in Matthew 7. We'll pick up at verse 15. There Jesus said, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus follows up his teaching on the narrow and the wide gates by warning us that on top of the difficulty in choosing the right path, there will be those that come and try and deceive us and get us onto the wrong path. He uses a few different images in this section. He begins by saying, beware of these false prophets that are like a wolf in sheep's clothing. There will be people who come in among his people, among his sheep, among us that will try to deceive us. They will look like us and try and act like us, but inwardly they will be liars and deceivers. Then he suddenly shifts to trees and fruit from this wolf in sheep's clothing language. This seems kind of odd and abrupt, but this is very fitting. He warned that false prophets, these false teachers are coming, but he needed to add something. 
He needed to give us a way to distinguish the true from the false. He said we will know them by their fruits. Even if a tree doesn't have fruit on it when we first see it, it will bear its fruit in time. Time will expose the nature of a deceiver. As a tree can't hide its fruit, false teachers will not be able to hide their fruit forever either. But what is their fruit? Well, it must be what they're teaching because they are teaching lies. And on top of that, it may be their actions if they're living immorally. But a false teacher can live decently but still teach lies. So we need to learn to distinguish the good fruit of truth from the bad fruit of false teaching. And he offers a warning for these people. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Punishment waits for the bad trees who would deceive, just as for those on the broad path. And then we see this terrifying warning that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Not everyone who calls on Jesus will enter. Only those who do his will will enter the kingdom. Some people that call themselves religious, that think they're a good servant of Jesus, will be told to depart. How terrifying is that? They did things that they thought were right, but apparently were not. There are right things to do and right ways to do them, and there are wrong things to do and wrong ways to do things. And there are a lot of lessons in this section for us. For, for example, deceivers do exist, and they will try to deceive us. Satan is at work today trying to bring each one of us here down. So, we need to be watchful for these deceivers. We have to be careful that we always hold fast to what is true because God's truth does not change. Teaching things like that gets the world all riled up. You get accusations like you Christians are so narrow-minded for thinking that there's only one right way. Who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Proclaiming there's absolute truth is not popular today, but our opponents on this issue fail every time. Even little kids know that absolute truth exists and that it's a rather narrow or small thing. They know 2 plus 2 equals 4. They know that 4 is the only thing 2 plus 2 equals. It does not equal 3. It doesn't equal 5. It doesn't equal 5 million. It doesn't even equal 3.999 forever, which is really, really close. There are an infinite number of wrong or untrue answers to 2 plus 2. The real truth, the absolute truth, is narrow because there is only one. Four is the only right answer you can get to that. Absolute truth does exist. We believe that, and we teach that. That isn't something that we came up with here at Dallin Road. That isn't something that the Church of Christ came up with. This is a fact that has always existed that Jesus agrees with. Some of the wolves would have you believe that truth is what you make it, that all paths lead to God, all paths lead nowhere. There's no choice that needs to be made. But we know that isn't true. The people that teach that are the false teachers, the wolves that we have to watch out for. And this section also teaches us that doing just anything for the Lord won't cut it. Many will say, did we not do these things for you, Lord? Yet they will still be told, depart. The only things we can do for the Lord and be right are the things that He told us to do. We can only do His will. We can't do things and we're, we can do things 
and say we're doing them for the Lord all we want, but that doesn't make it any more for Jesus than anything else. The only things we can do are the things that he told us to do in his will. We aren't doing what he said. We are still wrong. And we can't allow ourselves to be deceived by false teachers into doing something that's not his will, but yet thinking we're right. This applies to everything we do in our personal lives. We have to be changed. We have to obey him. We have to put off our old man of sin and walk a new life. In our worship here, we have to sing and pray and teach from his word. And on the first day of the week, take the Lord's Supper and give. There are so many ways that people abuse worship and use the church for things that it was not intended for. So how can we be certain that we are doing the right thing? How can we know we haven't been tricked into thinking we're a wolf, thinking we're a sheep when we are still a wolf? Excuse me. We can be certain by basing our lives, by basing our actions, our words, by basing everything off of His Bible. His Word is given to us in it. His will is outlined. We must compare everything to it, test everything, everyone, including ourselves, by it. Thinking about what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1, very early in his letter to the church at Galatia, Paul wrote, beginning in Galatians 1 at verse 6, he said, I am amazed that you were so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He rebuked the Galatians for quickly turning to these false doctrines. Anyone teaching those is accursed. True teachers will seek to please God above all else, even if teaching God's truth makes him unpopular with people. If what we do here becomes all about pleasing people, about entertainment, Paul says we are not a bondservant of Christ Jesus. And we actually have to do what the Word says. We can't just hear it and be fine. Many people will sit in a church building like we are and hear the truth and hear what we need to do, but won't go do it. James wrote about this in James chapter 1, if you'll look there with me. In James 1, beginning at verse 21, he wrote, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. He says to receive the word that is able to save your soul by doing what it says. We can't be deluded hearers, but either delude ourselves 
into thinking we're doing what it says when we're not, or deluding ourselves into not doing what it says when we know we need to. Either option is deluded. The only proper response to hearing the truth is to obey. Again, we have to choose. Will we be true or false servants? Will we be watchful for false teachers and proclaim the absolute truth? We need to make sure we're not listening to a wolf that only looks like a sheep to make sure we are doing what is the will of God. So back in Matthew 7, as Jesus draws his sermon to a close, he concludes with a parable. We see the contrast, the choice between a foundation on rock or sand. Look at verse 24 with me. We'll begin reading at verse 24 in Matthew 7, and this will be Jesus' final words in the Sermon on the Mount. Beginning at verse 24, he said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. We see two builders, two houses on two different foundations and two different outcomes. One builder is wise and the other isn't. What makes the difference? foundation they chose makes the difference. One chose solid rock, and the other chose shifting sand. But what does Jesus mean? What is the rock, and what is the sand? The children's song isn't exactly right. The rock isn't Jesus himself. Building on the rock is doing his will, and building on the sand is not doing his will. We see two houses that were built. Both were completed and both stood for a while. But a storm would change that. The one built on the rock of doing Jesus' will stood firm through the storm. The one built on the sand of disobedience collapsed. What does this mean for you and me? Well, we see ourselves in the builders. We are all building a life. And we're given freedom over how we build. One of the choices given to us is of our foundation. Jesus only gives us two options here, rock or sand, firm or weak, doing his will or not doing it. If we do not do his will, we will never survive any storm. But what exactly is the storm Jesus is talking about? Our first impulse is to think trials, the storms of life. Temptation, illness, death, betrayal, evil, and all that is certainly reasonable. Our God will be with us and help us through any storm of life. He does so much for us, and so do our fellow Christians. If we've built our life on the foundation of doing God's will, we will weather any storm because we have built on solid ground. We've built on not doing His will and doing whatever we want. Our house will not stand through the storm. We need to found our lives on the solid rock of doing His will. But it's possible and fitting that the Lord had a different storm in mind. Throughout His conclusion, throughout all these different contrasts, there's been a common 
thread. Judgment. The broad way leads to destruction. The bad tree is cut down and thrown into the fire. Those who do not do his will are told, depart. Judgment will expose everyone for who they really are, will prove what sort of foundation each house is built upon. If the trials of life do not prove one to be solid and the other not, judgment surely will. It's most likely that the storm Jesus was talking about was the storm of judgment. So we need to be sure that we're bu- we are building on the rock-solid foundation of doing His will. And like we talked about a moment ago, that's not always an easy thing to do. In Luke's account of this parable, Jesus said, the one dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock, and the other built his house on the ground without any foundation. Building on the rock takes much more time and effort. How much easier is it to set up a tent that has no real foundation than it is to take the time to do the dirt work and build a solid foundation for a building that will last. But we all know that it's worth the extra time and effort to build a solid foundation. If your foundation isn't solid, anything on top of it is in jeopardy. Sure, the house without a good foundation may be finished sooner, but there will certainly come a storm that will test that house and bring it down because it was not well founded. Likewise, we must make the effort to build on the rock, to dig deep, and found our lives in doing God's will. Anything we do in life is futile. Our very soul is in jeopardy if we are not doing God's will. So, we have a choice to make. A choice that won't always be easy or clear. Narrow or broad. True or false. Rock or sand. Which way will we choose? Will we serve Him or will we not? We are either serving Him now or we are not. We are very fortunate because even though we've all been building, we have the opportunity to start over. At one point, all of us were building on the sand. We all have sinned and been separated from God. We've built on the foundation of disobedience. But we all need to start over, building on the solid foundation of doing His will. Maybe there's someone here tonight who's been building on the sand and you've made it this far without total collapse. Don't look back. You have the opportunity to start over. Start fresh on a rock-solid foundation. Start fresh on doing His will. Come tonight and be baptized and receive the remission of your sins. Don't keep walking on the easy, broad path. Maybe you've already started over, but you've left that new house on the rock. You've gone back to the house built on the sand. You've gone back to the Broadway. Well, don't stay over there. Come back. There's so much danger in waiting to make things right. If you have a need to respond to the invitation, won't you come now while we stand and sing?